Good morning. My name is Christoph. I am the minister to youth and families here at Faith. Uh, we, we joke a little bit about it in a few of the online communities that I belong to of youth workers that this Sunday is known as National Youth Pastors Preach Sunday because all the pastors are taking the week off because of Christmas and end of the year and everything like that. Um, so we get a chance to preach, and I am, I am super excited about it. I love getting the opportunity to preach um, and, and to walk through the Bible with you. Before I even get started, I, I, just, like, I, I brought the, this to the attention of first service, and I just want to do it again because I, I love it. It is something we've talked about before, but how cool is it that we, we sang a psalm this morning? I love that. I love the fact that we are singing God's songs. God gave us a songbook and singing God's songs, so that was awesome. Thank you, Robbie, again, because I, I just like, again, second time, I still like loved um, singing God's word to just remind us of those beautiful truths. So uh, like Robbie said, First Kings, we're going to be in chapter 19, chapter 19. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be going through verses 1 through 18 slowly this morning. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for a chance to um, just spend time in your word, to worship you through your word this morning. God, I pray that you would speak. God, that we would hear you. I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, if, if our hearts are, are hardened, calloused, God, that you would soften them so that we could hear what it is you have for us this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to remove ourselves out of the equation and help us to focus solely in on you. Lord, I pray ultimately that all of our eyes would be set on you, the work you have done, the work that you continue to do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, we are going to be going through this passage this morning. But before we start reading it, I don't, I don't know about you, but as I get closer to the end of a milestone, I tend to get really nostalgic. I am, I am a nostalgic person looking both to the past and also forward to what is coming. And, and it drives my wife crazy that I am super nostalgic. She, she is not a nostalgic person. And so when we drive around Marinette, which is where I grew up, and I go, oh, hey, did I tell you about the one time I... She's like, yeah, you did. Hey, that's the house that I used to grow up in. Yeah, I know. Did I tell you about my friend that used to live there? Yeah, I know. All the time. Drives are crazy. <laughs> so my fellow people who are also nostalgic, maybe you'll hang in here with me. Those of you who are not, don't worry. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But uh, we're closing out another year. 2019 is coming to a close. Not only a year, but a decade as we look back on the 2010s. And I can't help but feel nostalgic. And so what, what I... What I would like to do this morning, my, my hope, my intention, is, my, my intention is to challenge you and encourage you uh, with what is a bit of a resolution going into 2020. Uh, that, is, that is the goal. And, and this resolution, I hope, is, is what this passage teaches. I think it's what we read out of 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18, but, but it's simply four things. I'm going to tell you these four things, and then we are going to dive into this passage. It's listen to yourself less listen to God more, speak to God more, and speak to yourself more. That last one might seem a little bit weird. Hang in there. I promise I will unpack it. But let's start with verses 1 through 18 and let God's word speak. 1 Kings 19, 
1 through 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. All right, so it is safe to say, after we read this passage, that Elijah was not attempting to move forward into the presence of God out of some sort of joyous feeling that he was feeling. Elijah was not elated at the situation that caused, that, that caused him to go before God. He was not jumping for joy, but rather he feared for his life. And to understand why he feared for his life, we have to step back and go back into 1 Kings 18. Right? We need a little bit of context. And 1 Kings 18 is this incredible challenge that Elijah took with the Lord to the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god at the time. The prophets of Baal were all around. And uh, basically... Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a really intense bonfire competition. Now, we should be able to identify with this because uh, being people from Wisconsin and the UP, we like our bonfires. Apparently, there's a difference, by the way, between campfires and bonfires. I still don't know what that difference is, but that's cool. Some of you might. Um, So... Without reading chapter 18, you might think that uh, Elijah had, had cheated or maybe he lost the competition. Why else would he be scared for his life? But it was quite the opposite, actually. The, the competition was to set up this altar of wood, right? And, and both parties would pray to their respective gods to light it on fire. And, and the way that it played out is the Lord lit the altar before Elijah on fire in spectacular fashion. It's incredible. And the prophets of Baal, their, their altar did not light. It's, it's, it's a really cool story. I want to encourage you to go maybe today or this week and, and read this passage by yourself or, or with your family. But, but it's incredible, and it's an incredible display of God's power. And the result is that Jezebel is not happy. She wanted the life of Elijah after this moment. And so Elijah feared so deeply for his life that he went into the wilderness so the Lord could take him at that moment. He was so hopeless, so fearful that he went before the Lord to to take his life in that moment. And God's response to Elijah is incredible. He nourishes him. God nourished Elijah so that he may not only uh, pass, but so that he could complete the journey he was set on to take. Not only once, but multiple times an angel of the Lord appears to Elijah to give him physical nourishment to make his way. The Lord provided. He sustained The Lord accomplishes incredible things that we could never expect. It seemed over for Elijah, right? On one hand, he had Jezebel, this authority figure, after him saying, I want him done tomorrow. On the other hand, he is in the middle of the wilderness, 
ready, ready to perish. Neither happen. God had greater plans in mind. And, and interestingly enough, so here's some kind of cool parts of this, is that Elijah makes his way, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he makes his way through the wilderness, which should sound familiar, and we'll unpack that in a second. But he goes to a mountain called Horeb, the mountain of God, the mount of God, which is not the first time we actually read about this mountain. This is the same mountain, presumably, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, which is kind of interesting. And there's some other patterns that go on here. Uh, when I was studying for this passage, I came across Matthew Henry's commentary. It's a great commentary to read, a resource. But he said this, See how many different ways God took to keep Elijah alive. He fed him by ravens with multiple meals, then by an angel. And now to show that man lives not by bread alone, he kept him alive for 40 days without meat, without resting and sleeping, which might make him the less to crave sustenance, but continually traverse the maze of the desert for a day, of year, uh, a day for a year of Israel's wandering, yet he neither needs food nor desires it. You see, there's an interesting parallel here of Elijah roaming the wilderness 40 days and Moses and the Israelites roaming the desert for 40 years, right? A day for each year. But this also isn't the only time that we read of somebody in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Sounds familiar. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. I love the sound of Bibles turning pages. The youth sometimes get really annoyed with me because I don't let phone Bibles sometimes when we do Sunday school or other stuff. I, I, I make them go and get physical Bibles and flip pages because it's really important for us to know where stuff is in the Bible. So I love the sound of Bible pages turning. So Matthew 4, 1 through 4, 40 days, 40 nights, just to remind you where we're at. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus encounters a similar situation. He is, he is in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. A little bit of a different circumstances, obviously, but the parallel here is obvious. And, and look at the difference in how it's handled. Jesus rebukes the temptation that comes his way with the word of God. Elijah was quick to fear, to hopelessness. Jesus turned back to the word of God. Jesus is always the better. Always. Whenever we read in the Old Testament different heroes of the faith, we have to remember that they are shadows and foretastes of the better, of the best. It might, look, it might be easy for us to look at people like Elijah or Abraham and David and want to emulate them, but even in their strongest character moments, they are nothing more than lesser versions of Jesus. Here, Jesus reminds us that the Lord provides. We live, move, breathe, eat, dance, play, every word, of God that come, every word that comes from the mouth of God, not by bread alone. And so my question is this, church, when we are looking back on 2019, are you discouraged? When you look back on the previous year, do you look at it with contempt for the things that you have done? Maybe you look back on this year with disdain for the things that have been done to you. Maybe you were hurt by the actions of a person. 
Or maybe you were the one who hurt someone with your actions. Listen, if you answered yes to any of those, what's the response moving into the next year? If you're feeling that way, you're not alone. That's how Elijah felt. The prophet of God, he was ready to throw in the towel. This prophet who had this incredible encounter with God just a chapter before, a giant pillar of fire. But God, in his great mercy, provides for Elijah. And here's the thing, we have this tendency to listen to ourselves in these moments, don't we? In these moments of discouragement, in these moments of hopelessness, in these moments of fear. We tend to listen to the voice inside us and we dig ourselves a hole. We are broken people who are telling ourselves broken things. This is why the difference between Elijah and Jesus is so important. That while Elijah found hopelessness, Jesus pointed it back to the word of God. It's very easy to get stuck in that autopilot mode where we just keep listening to that voice. We need to adjust We need to listen to the words of the one who will sustain us in the darkest moments. We need to listen to the voice of God. We need to listen to ourselves less, and we need to listen to God more. Let's continue. 1 Kings 19. I'm going to go 9 through 14. All right, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped up his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah, after this time in the wilderness, finds himself in a cave. Another interesting parallel, by the way, the cave that um, presumably God passed by Moses and shown his glory. And and think about this. Think about where Elijah's at here for a moment. He fears for his life. He is hopeless. God and his great mercy and grace meet Elijah where he is at and sustains him. And so after this, we see Elijah speaking to God, right? After this incredible moment, he's in the wilderness. God provides. He stands before God. And what we see is Elijah in complete honesty laying before the Lord his hopelessness. He tells the Lord that despite this incredible showing in the previous chapter, this lighting of this altar on fire, this just moment that I feel like we probably all want at some point in our lives, right? We have all asked at some point for God to show us something incredible. Elijah experiences it and still before him, he feels hopeless. He feels completely alone, sought out to be killed, alone in his allegiance to the Lord. 
And I, I so appreciate the fact that Elijah goes before the Lord in complete honesty. I think sometimes the reason that we do not feel like God is able to meet us where we're at is because we are not being honest with him about the sins that we have committed and the sins that have been committed with us. It's kind of weird when you think about it. We sometimes settle for going, if we go before God at all, sometimes we don't go before God, but sometimes we, we, we go before God and we give him these surface level sins, these surface level sins that have been committed against us, and we expect him to provide healing for the deep scar-inducing sins that have been committed against us and that we have committed. Why would we expect that? And all the while, we miss out on one of the greatest promises Jesus gives. If you have your Bibles back in Matthew, we're going to go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why do we settle when it comes to engaging with the Lord? Speak to him. Confess to him. Confess the sins you've committed. Confess the pains you have felt. Confess the dark moments. Confess the great moments. The promise is that he takes them. His mercy. If you guys remember a, a couple weeks ago, uh, Robbie told the difference between mercy and grace. Right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting something that we do not deserve. Is, do you see the difference? Not only does he promise to take the burden, to take the yoke, he promises rest. He promises grace and mercy not just one or the other. He gives rest, and rest is quickly becoming a foreign concept in our culture. We know the word, but our definition of it is lacking. We are a culture that values busyness. Jesus promises rest. We know his promises are good. Let me ask you something. When you go before God, are you talking to him with complete candor and honesty? Or is it surface level? Let me give a couple of examples of how I think this, this plays out sometimes in the church. Loneliness. I think loneliness is a, a large root problem within the church right now. It's amazing. We can gather hundreds of people together on a Sunday morning. We can sing songs to the God who created the smallest of atoms and the largest of galaxies. We sing songs to him. We read and reflect on his revealed word. The fact that he even gave us his real revealed word is incredible, and yet we feel completely alone. And it's not just a problem for Sunday morning worship, right? It's a feeling that continues throughout the whole week, this loneliness, and it causes us to feel insecure about our relationships with others and it causes us to, in turn, have unhealthy relationships with others as well. So how does Jesus answer that? So we confess to him that we feel completely alone and his answer is one, first of all, you are never truly alone. The promise is that God goes 
with you. He dwells in you. You are never alone. Through every mountaintop, through every valley experience, he is there. But also, two, he promises that his bride, the church, he calls the church his bride, is there to walk through this with you as well. And listen, I know churches are made of imperfect people who do not do perfect things. And I know that there have been churches that have, that have hurt people deeply. But this is the promise that he gives, and so we work towards it. We give it to him. We, we rest in that promise knowing that he takes the yoke and he replaces it with rest. If you are feeling alone, if you feel loneliness, have you gone to God with it? Have you confessed it to him? Whose voice will you listen to after you confess it to him? Another way that I think that this pops up in the church is busyness. I alluded to that a little bit before, but how often do you respond to the question with, hey, how's it going? Ah, you know, keep him busy. Sweet. Cool. How was your Christmas? Super busy. What do you got going on for New Year's? Yeah, you know, keep him busy. It never actually answers a question, right? It's just kind of a filler thing that we say. But I think it reveals something that's going on inside of us. We are a culture that highly values busyness as a virtue, and not because of the things that we're doing, but because we are doing things. We fill our plate with so much fluff that we have this appearance that we are doing things. And we value it because it looks like we're doing a lot. Not because we're actually doing things that the Lord has called us to do. If you try to find fulfillment in doing so much that you are constantly busy, the things that are going to fall off the plate are the things that the the Lord has called you to do. Do you find yourself overwhelmed? Have you taken this to the Lord? Have you gone before him and asked the question, am I filling my time with things that are pleasing to you or things that are pleasing to man? Do you find yourself in a position where you see the things that God has called you to do that you're just too busy for them? This manifests itself in some really crazy ways. We, we, we act like discipling is, is like something that super Christians do. There's like a, a few in the church that do it, but not every Christian's called to do that. No, every Christian is called to do it. That is a priority. We, we sometimes tell ourselves this lie that we are so busy on the weekend that we're going to skip out on the corporate gathering of God's people to worship him. And it's ironic, right? We avoid going before the Lord asking this question of whether what we are doing is just fluff or not because we're afraid that he's going to give us too much to do when in fact the very thing he promises to give us is rest. Speak to him. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more and go before him asking the hard questions. Go before him in complete honesty in candor. I want to reread 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. Eleven through thirteen says this, and he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
After the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's really easy to take a section of scripture like this and make it a a normative principle in our lives. And what I mean by that is it's easy to take a passage like this and say, I have to get rid of all the chaos in my life before God can speak to me. It's easy to read a passage like this and say, well, if there is not wind that is rushing around me, blowing rocks off of mountains, then God is not going to speak to me. But here's the thing, God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us very clearly in his word. When we open our Bibles, we are opening the inspired word of God, written through the hands of men at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we would rather have circumstances speak to us than God, right? We want to go, hey, look at that red leaf that's spiraling from that tree, and look at how it landed on the sidewalk. I think what that's saying is that my life is spiraling out of control, and I need to find somebody that's wearing a red coat so that way they can help me not spiral out of control. God, God does not have to speak to us cryptically through circumstances. He has revealed himself through his word. Open it up. Listen to him. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Speak to God more. Okay, let's finish up 1 Kings 19. So this is, Eli- this is God's response to Elijah, starting in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah. And you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So this sounds super encouraging, right? Elisha pours out his heart before God. Lord, all of your people have left. I am feeling incredibly alone in my mission that you have sent me on. I am wanted. Jezebel wants my head. I feel like there is nothing left in the tank anymore. Lord, I need you now more than ever. And how does God reply to Elijah? Hey, here's some stuff to go do. (laughs) It might seem in that moment that God doesn't meet Elijah with his needs, but in his complete sovereignty, he absolutely does. He absolutely does. Check this out. Verse 18 says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. And here's the thing. When we are reading scripture, the best teacher of scripture is scripture itself, right? The, the best person to have ever interpreted scripture, teach scripture, best theologian, expositor of scripture was Jesus, period. And so when we come across a verse that we know scripture talks about later on, we should use scripture later on to unpack it. Does that seem fair? Does that seem logical? All right. Here's the thing, cool thing. Paul 
actually talks about this in Romans 11. So if you have your Bibles, go back to Romans, go, go forward to Romans 11. So a little context here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, right, New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome is interesting because Caesar decided to boot all the Jews out of Rome for, for a time, for three years. And during that time, the church grew, and the Gentiles obviously were the ones who were in that church. And then the Jews were brought back, and there was this tension, right? We read this tension. And so throughout Romans, you are going to see oftentimes Paul talking about God keeping his people, right? How, how, how God's salvation came to the Jew and the Gentile, both. And so oftentimes you, you can read that. And check out what Paul writes in, in, this, in Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scriptures of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The Lord is keeping his people. This is how God responds to Elijah. I am keeping my people. He does it both with Elijah and with Paul. This is incredible. God is keeping his people. Maybe you need that specific encouragement this morning. Maybe you need to know that God is keeping you. God is keeping his people. If you are God's, God will keep you. He is a good shepherd. He will not forsake you. It may seem like a dark season. God is working in it. He is working through it. And here's, here's a little side note. This is the youth minister in me. Parents, whether you're parents of elementary, middle, high schooler, college age. I, I have two. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I still worry about things like this, even though right now the biggest issue in my house is keeping my one-year-old out of the cabinets and hiding herself in them. I'm like, hey, where did Shiloh go? Oh, she's hanging out the pots and pans. Cool. Parents, if you are worried for your children... Remember that the Lord keeps those who are his. Pray for them. Rest well in this truth. Speak this truth to yourself. And this, this by the way, is, is the final point of, of speaking to ourselves more, right? We talked about listening to ourselves less, listening to God more, speaking to God more, and speaking to ourselves more. Speak to yourself more. The, the, the phrase that I love to use for this is to preach to yourself each and every person in here should practice preaching to themselves. I think it's a practice that we undervalue in the church today. We need to preach to ourselves the truth of the gospel each and every day. If we don't, we are broken people who are preaching broken things to ourselves. If we preach, if we get into the habit of reminding ourselves daily the truths of God, one, we will stop believing the lies we tell ourselves, but two, we will be prepared to preach the gospel to those around us. And, and what is the gospel? 
we, we like to boil it down to five words, right? Creation, rebellion, redemption, renewal, and glory. And we've unpacked all five of those in previous messages. But if, if you are new here or haven't heard one of those and you want somebody to talk about the gospel with you, please, you can, you can, talk, to, you can talk to me, you can talk to Robbie, you can talk to our elders, any of the other staff, any of the members here at Faith, maybe people that you are sitting next to. What a joy it is to have somebody come up to you and say, what is the gospel? Now listen, when we're preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, discipleship, discipling others will be a natural outflow of that practice. It has to be. How else could we preach to ourselves and not? And, and preaching to ourselves doesn't have to just be a verbal thing, right? You don't have to like stand in front of the mirror with a Bible and pretend to be preaching to yourself. You might weird out your significant other and your children might be like, my parents are crazy. Um, it doesn't have to be verbal. It can be mental reminders, but I, I also love the rich gospel-laced songs and hymns that we sing. The truths in those songs are incredible. Speak the truths of God to yourself in song. Sing the songs that remind you of his rich mercy, abundant grace, unending love. One of, one of my favorite songs is one that we're going to be singing after this, uh, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. One of the ones we're going to be singing after this. And, and listen to these lyrics and think of what it would be like to remind yourself of this truth daily. Christ the sure and steady anchor In the fury of the storm When the winds of doubt blow through me And my sails have all been torn In the suffering, in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It will never be removed. Let me wrap this up. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Speak to God more. Speak to yourself more. There's a few easy things that you can be doing daily to help yourself out with with all these. Read your Bible. Spend time listening to the voice of God and he will give you the strength to listen to yourself less. Spend time in prayer, honest, intentional prayer, talking about the things that you wrestle with, the things that have been done to you. Be honest, be raw, and trust that God is faithful to take you exactly to where you need to go. And preach to yourself daily. Preach the truths of God to yourself daily. Sing songs that remind you of the gospel. Remind yourself of who God is, what he has done, and what his promises are. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we can go before you in complete honesty, in in complete pain. God has broken people. And God, that you are faithful to take that brokenness and use it for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us as a church to be people who listen to ourselves less, that we would die to ourselves daily. God, that we would be lesser and that you would be greater, that you would help us to listen to you more. God, that you would help us to speak to you more. God, that you would help us to preach your truths to ourselves daily. 
Lord, thank you so much for what you did on the cross. Thank you for taking the burden that I could not handle. Thank you for the grace you have shown me. Thank you for walking with me. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.